0: Welcome to the Activist Awakenings podcast. I'm Samantha White. We seem to be living under a barrage of bad news headlines and it's all too easy to see the myriad ways in which the world is going to hell in a handcart and crawl back under the duvet feeling powerless. But there are brilliant grassroots initiatives going on in neighbourhoods around the country. By talking to local activists and campaigners about what they've been able to achieve, I hope to show you that individuals just like you and me can make a difference. With NHS services under threat across the country, community campaigns are springing up to defend them. A great local example of this is the Save Lewisham Hospital campaign, launched back in 2012. The community was vehemently opposed to the closure, which would have exacerbated the existing crisis of undercapacity in South East London. Within its first two weeks, the broad-based campaign set up by Deptford GP Louise Irvin had hosted a meeting attended by 700 people and 15,000 supporters had marched through the streets. The next year would see campaigners picket BBC Question Time when it came to Goldsmiths and challenge the government in the High Court. Consultant paediatrician and Director of Children's Services for the Hospital and Lewisham Community Services, Tony O'Sullivan, became the main link between the trust workforce and the community campaign. I went to New Cross to ask him about the secrets to the campaign's success. (laughs) Dr Tony O'Sullivan, welcome to the podcast. Hi. To begin with, could you tell us how you got involved in the campaign?
1: At the time that Jeremy Hunt tried to close our hospital, 2012-13, I I became the main link between the Trust Health Workforce and the community campaign to oppose the closure.
0: Could you tell us about the threat to Lucian Hospital? What was Jeremy Hunt's idea?
1: Well, um, the overall government policy was to close about a third of district general hospitals, and they were imposing um, financial restraints on trusts and driving them into a, an artificial kind of debt. An adjacent trust, South London Healthcare Trust, was a trust combining three different hospitals in three boroughs in south-east London, and two of them were two of the eight worst contracted Private Finance Initiative Hospitals. So that trust was technically in debt. And and a a big factor was that they were owing £60 million of repayments to the PFI contracts every year, and that was going up year on year. So they were inverted commas in debt, but the, the government was just not giving them enough money. The government and NHS England in London, they used that as an excuse to say... We need to look at the whole of the South East London health economy. They put the trust into emergency measures, not Lewisham, the the other trust, Mm -hmm. and they imposed a a kind of bankruptcy manager that was called a trust special administrator, directly imposed by the Secretary of State. And in a a rapid assessment over less than six months, really, they decided um, that they would close Lewisham Hospital as the financial solution to the South East London health economy.
0: And that was despite the fact that Lewisham had just been refurbed, it had very good performance rates?
1: Yes, it it was, Lewisham itself had had seven years running of of balancing its books even in a difficult climate. It still does have a a strong link with the universities for training medical students and training nurses. So it was a a university-linked hospital. It had very good clinical uh, standards and a very good reputation. It just really didn't make any clinical sense at all. Lucian Lewisham Hospital is right in the middle of Lewisham Borough, so it's an ideal setting, really, for a district general hospital. And it was serving uh, about 300-plus thousand people um, with very good feedback from the community.
0: And so if the special advisers' um, measures have been implemented, what impact would that closure have had on... Patients' access, that kind of thing?
1: They were planning to close the A&E, the Accident and Emergency Department, and all the acute inpatient work. So all uh, acutely ill adults, elderly, children, and also the maternity uh, services with with medical input, the, the obstetric input to maternity. They were going to therefore reduce access to people having emergency needs and they were going to have to go to another of the local hospitals, Queen Elizabeth in Woolwich, uh, King's or further afield. The travel time, especially if you're vulnerable, if you don't have a car here. We knew of stories of people walking a long way to appointments because they couldn't afford bus fare. So th- these things might sound small. In London, it, it's five miles to Queen Elizabeth Woolwich from um, Lewisham Hospital, but, mm-hmm. but we did a trial in our campaign seeing how long it would take from a, a bus stop outside Lewisham Hospital, and on the morning of the trial it took an hour and 40 minutes. My goodness. There was no direct bus route. Yeah. They claimed that it was going to take an average of one minute extra if you were in an ambulance and three minutes extra if you were in a car. And ridiculous things. They'd used Google Maps for assessing average time and they used it at something like midnight <laughs>
0: and they didn't take them to out the Blackwall Tunnel, the Woolwich Ferry, <laughs> any of the roads along there that are generally clogged up at any time of day.
1: Yes, that's right. So there was a particular case of, of uh, a family with a child with a, a very severe life-threatening disorder which made them prone to dramatic hemorrhaging. And they were under the liver team for children at King's. And they had told the mother, if your child ever starts hemorrhaging do not try to come to our department at King's, your child won't make it. Uh, you must go to Lewisham Hospital. So th- there were examples like that where parents were actually frightened at the thought of Lewisham Hospital closing. And, and that's the most dramatic example. But there were, in South East London there's a, a very big black and African origin Caribbean community and high incidence of things like sickle cell disorder so if you have a sickle cell pr- crisis and you're thrown into intense pain, as well as other life-threatening complications, you need treatment straight away. You, you don't need to go to a specialist unit. You need emergency treatment uh, for pain relief or if it's um, sepsis. You need immediate access to life support and antibiotics. The, the consultants and nurses in Lewisham Hospital assess that for over 90% of cases, you need urgent Access to definitive support and health healthcare, rather than going many miles to a super specialist unit.
0: So you've got a lot of factors there in terms of access, vulnerability, in terms of health, but also in terms of financial things. But the time, um, the time is, is really the critical element when you're whether you're in their own car or or public transport. What is the catchment area of Lewisham Hospital in terms of numbers of patients?
1: At the time, it was a about 285,000, the population of Lewisham. And Lewisham Hospital had a, a number of specialties that they had a, a good reputation for. And, and on the borders of the adjacent boroughs, uh, GPs would refer people to Lewisham Hospital as well. So the catchment was between 300,000 and 350,000. And, of course, it's gone up since then. Lucian population is close to 300,000 now. If they'd closed Lewisham Hospital... The, the remaining AE in South East London, apart from the main teaching hospitals, was going to be Queen Elizabeth Woolwich. And that was going to be one AE for 750,000 people with the population rising. And that hospital was actually designed under PFI very rigidly. It was designed for Greenwich only. In 2010, they closed Queen Mary Sidcup, which is the hospital for Bexley Borough. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, half of the population of Bexley in a crisis or, or outpatient appointments, they were uh, referred to Queen Elizabeth Woolwich. So since 2010, it's been in a crisis of uh, under capacity with mm. pa- patients flooding in, and they didn't have the space in A&E or the beds. Uh, and it's been like a winter crisis all the year round since then. So this proposal to close Lewisham Hospital was illogical, dangerous, irresponsible, uh, and the campaigners felt we had the, we held the, ha- the moral high ground, really, fighting for reason. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. What was the government or the Department of Health's rationale for this, or was there one? There's an
1: overt rationale, and there's a, 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 an understory. Sure. Uh, the overt rationale was that the health service was becoming more and more expensive, uh, the, the needs of the population was rising, the cost of the NHS, A a term would be used, it's a bottomless pit and we can't keep on throwing money. You've got to reconfigure things and make them cost effective. Um, So there was a kind of market approach that NHS was a business and if if a particular trust was overspending, then it should be left to go out of business. So, So this trust special administrator regime was actually a kind of bankruptcy regime and then you either come in and change things around, or you close it. In this case, they decided to close an entirely different hospital. So their rationale was that they got to make economic sense, not clinical sense. It was explicitly about money. If ever they tried to talk about better clinical care, they were actually lying, and we, we tore, tore that to shreds. The assumption was that they couldn't close two PFI hospitals, because even if you close it, you've got to carry on making the payments for another 20 years to the PFI private companies. And so their logic was to close those hospital and the patients would divert themselves or be diverted to the hospitals with the PFI and the extra income per patient would help pay the PFI payments and therefore they would be in balance. There was, a, as I say, an artificial clinical logic which was that we needed super specialization and patients needed 24-7 emergency specialist teams.
0: When you hear claims like that, which are obviously factually incorrect, how do you control your anger and incredulity, and how do you channel that into something productive?
1: It was difficult to contain one's anger, so there were various meetings in the, in the supposedly consultation period, and, and the public were very, very angry. The clinicians, a lot of them, felt that if we got the logical arguments right and the clinical evidence, that the government would say, oh, we realise we're wrong after all. Um, And a couple of us realised that it wasn't about clinical arguments. It was was about a predetermined decision to close Lucian Hospital uh, as one of a number. They were trying to close nine hospitals across London. We had to do both the arguments of common sense and logic But also build a campaign at the same time, and the great thing was that there were several of us who are clinicians in the hospital trust and the community. There was a GP, Louise Dervin, who was the a GP in Deptford, and she set up the Save Lucian Hospital campaign, and and then we all joined in with that. I I I know Louise, so we, we were immediately involved. The campaign provide a, a structure and a framework and resources through which the community could express its anxiety and its anger. The issue of a, immediate closure of Lewisham Hostel was one that really went across the community with with fear and, and rage so in one sense the, the, the campaign strength was the, the local population but in a very real sense if the campaign hadn't been strong and well organised it wouldn't have given the community a route to express their anger.
0: So yeah, there's, there had to be a channel. You mentioned that, that structure, that framework, what did that involve?
1: Well, we, we held public meetings. Immediately the announcement was made in the end of October 2012. And within two weeks we'd had a meeting of 700 people and we had a, we'd had a march of 15,000 people. So we started meeting regularly and we 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 had a, a full open public committee meeting every week for months and the first meetings um after the public meeting and after the march we had you know 100 120 people in those meetings crammed into a big room at the health center in Deptford we then asked everybody what skills they brought to the table and we asked them for for ideas we we had an early policy that whatever the idea might be, however sort of fluffy or zany it sounded, if somebody was willing to try it, we'd, we'd let them go with it. We had little mini structures set up like a media team, you know, and two or three people said that they would do that. Uh, two or three people said that they would organise um, the merchandise for the campaign, badges and tote bags and, and T-shirts and things like that, and we had subgroups who were organizing an event like the demonstration and we went on and on like that so we had uh, we had a huge amount of resource P- people who had had been involved in in activism in the past uh, were virtually in retirement I could put myself in that category <laughs> came out of retirement and, and added uh, this campaign to their day job but the community was there as well people who had never been involved in politics before but they'd had children born at at Lewisham hospital and they'd got into trouble and and they'd had immediate access from the the midwife team to the medical team and and, uh, very good care and other examples that i've mentioned so we had real activism engaging the community and we gave them roots to to express themselves and to show their skills as well and their imagination
0: Fantastic. So you had the meetings which allowed people to come forward with their ideas and, and offer their, their time as volunteers, and, and the sort of meetings were a focal point where you could gather all that energy together.
1: Yes, I guess. that's right. We were thinking about different parts of the community that we could get to where health services were important for them. We, we, we had massive engagement from the Lewisham Pensioners Forum. As you get older, it's more and more important to you how, how accessible your health care is and you don't want to go on an hour, an hour and a half's journey, either for yourself or visiting your loved ones. You know, There's yeah, a big course. issue for access as well about relatives and friends visiting people you know, and then having to get home in the middle of the night. So we had loads of pensioners. We had a, a, a little subgroup that made contact with the faith community around Lewisham, and, and we, we went to mosques and, and churches and uh, the Salvation Army. Wonderful response from all of those uh, and they, they came to meetings, they came to events and they actually came to the court when we were challenging Jeremy Hunting Court. So that was our approach, thinking of different sections of the community, of course, young parents and mum's network across the way, how could we get to those? And we have the engagement from people from those sections helping us get there.
0: Brilliant, so it's a really broad base yes. he had. But you mentioned the, the visiting there, but presumably there's an impact. If people can get to visit somebody, their loved ones, they've got their contact, presumably that sort of morale it has an impact on their recovery.
1: It is very much a factor that if you're ill, if you're you have the support from the hospital services, but you also have the support from your family network, and the more that's strained, the more that has an impact on well-being uh, and mental health. There's another aspect about removing access from the direct community to a further hospital which is that I was in Lotion for 20 odd years and certainly in, in working with children with disability my role there with others was to build up networks around that family uh, they they needed uh, good primary care. They needed community nursing, physiotherapy, ter- therapy in general. They needed mental health support. They needed access to the hospital, access to social services and disability social work team. Um, mental health issues were, were very big. It's even worse now, but even then, you know, uh, children and teenagers in mental health crises, ending up in A and E. We had a. A service where the local child and adolescent mental health services would see that child and family in A&E or on the wards within 24 hours and give them the next step immediately that for example I or my colleague will see you on Tuesday and if you close that hospital down and the, the the population have dissipated to three or four other hospitals further afield you can't have that immediate network with the mental health team or social care the same for adults you know uh, adults who may live on their own may be very very vulnerable and to get them home uh, out of hospital you you might need a support package including um, social work and occupational therapy and so on to help rehabilitate them back to independence and if you're from another borough you've got huge barriers to make those links so that's what Jeremy Hunt was actually about to destroy decades of work in building up support mechanisms for different types of, of need that patients and community have.
0: And just to go back, step. you mentioned the zany ideas that people brought. Have you got a couple of examples of, of things you thought, what? And then they they were taken forward and sort of contributed.
1: Yes, uh, the, the lovely ideas that initially didn't seem to gel. That was m- probably just my fault, but you know, a mother said, why don't we have um, a buggy army descending on Whitehall and go, go <laughs> to the of Health? And we thought, yeah, okay, well, how's, how's that gonna work? And what they did was they they put all the, the messaging around on mum's net and, and uh, outside primary schools and getting to parents. And on a particular day in February, with snow on the ground, oh we, we had 150 people, including the babies, descending with buggies, convening somewhere behind Charing Cross Station and then marching down Whitehall and to the to, to the Department of Health. All these women and babies demanding, we're here, Jeremy, where are you? Come and meet us. We, we never saw him, of course, on that day. No. And then there was a, a kind of Zimmer frame army. Uh, the Lewisham, <laughs> Lewisham pensioners marched down Lewisham High Street um, with, with uh, different forms of mobility supports, and, and that was very moving and, and very powerful as well, and these things got publicity. Fantastic, that's uh, one of my questions. Obviously you've got
0: hugely impressive media coverage in terms of, you know, right from local blogs to national dailies, private eye, like ITV news, how <laughs> have you got any
1: advice for other campaigns? It, it was very important to us to think of where the general public would be in, in uh, understanding uh, of issues and not to, it was a very political issue. They were trying to close a hugely needed health resource but not everybody is at the same political level of understanding. And so, first of all, we we discussed and we trialled how to get the language right so that it was emotionally intelligent, it was factually accurate, it wasn't over threatening or uh, scary in its language Uh, and that was important for the general public but it was also important for the press. The press could see that we were consistent that if we said something was happening or there was a, a, a factual aspect to it that they could rely on us that we weren't blowing it up out of proportion. We had two really good people who were good at phoning the press and talking to them, making personal contacts, and gradually over weeks and months they, they began to trust us and, and they would they would come to us if there was a an announcement of something they would come to us for our version of it we did quite well with the london news the national news wouldn't touch us for a long time even though it was definitely of national importance because they were closing a, a really good hospital very busy um very high standard. The the numbers made sense. The the busyness of the A&E, for example. It had one of the best paediatric units in the country, specifically paediatric A&E. So none of that made sense. And they were closing it in a six-month period where normally there'd be a huge consultation going on for for over a couple of years to work out the complexity of, of need. So it was irresponsible. And... The Guardian wouldn't touch it, and BBC National News wouldn't touch it. And then there was a stroke of luck. You can't legislate for luck, but BBC Question Time came to Goldsmiths. And it came in the January, just before the, the uh, announcement of Jeremy Hunt to close the hospital. And we got a lot of people in the audience, and we had a picket outside, and it made a lot of noise and the panel came out to speak saying, what what is all this about you know so this is before the program started of course <laughs> <laughs> and then they have a preliminary chat with david dimbleby before you go into the chamber and he he said i i know there's a really big issue going on in the community about lucas hospital uh, this is a national program we can't uh, take local issues in our program but if somebody asks a question about the, uh, the the National NHS, we will then be able to have a, a discussion that reflects the local issues. And uh, one of our contacts in the o- audience just asked a very simple question, is the NHS safe in Cameron's hands? And that then led into a big discussion and the audience participation. And the f- f- for 15 minutes, it was about the closure of Lourdes Hospital. That had a, a massive impact and suddenly, the rest of the national press were interested and in, and we'd broken through. So one of the lessons is to adjust your message to get to the level of understanding that the people and the journalists will respond to and the second thing is to just look for opportunities that are, that are a way in. We also have quite a lot of clinicians willing to speak out. It's It's very helpful for NHS campaigns to have the involvement of local clinicians doctors and nurses and therapists and, and mental health specialists not every campaign has that opportunity but it's something that they really need to work at and and to try to encourage uh, local NHS staff to be involved the media really respond to quotes and interviews with the the local doctor from the A&E or an emergency nurse practitioner. That really helps them build up a story, so that was something that we also had in Lewisham.
0: You've got a a very broad base uh, community campaign. Um, You've mentioned some of your allies, like the clinicians, you've got the faith groups, you've got the pensioners, you've got the mums. Were there any other um, key allies in the campaign?
1: We also looked to uh, the local clinicians the GPs that were going to be sending their patients to the hospital and were suddenly going to be without that hospital having to divert them. So we put out, in a sense like a petition, a, a letter to all the 450 GPs and, and asked them for their support. Um, did they, were they in favor of or did they oppose what Jeremy Hunt was trying to do in closing the hospital? And we got a, a massive response from that. Um, the Clinical Commissioning Group, which is the organising structure that holds the budget for Lewisham borough and, and, and similarly for the other boroughs, we were trying very hard to get their engagement. Um, initially, they poo-pooed us and said, well, you know, we'll, we'll make our arguments with the government about what should happen, but, and if you want to go off and demonstrate, you, you go and do that. But they uh, gradually realised that we'd had a huge impact And the chair of the CCG uh, started to work with us and to meet us. So that was also very powerful. So we we got a letter signed by the the vast majority of GPs and virtually all the Lucian GPs completely opposed to the closure. So we started to line up sections of the community uh, and sections of the clinical workforce, all, all with really with unanimity in opposing the decision.
0: So part one of the campaign you were mobilising against the the proposal and then when the Secretary of State for Health announced in Parliament at the end of January 2013 that he had accepted um, the Special Administrators proposal what was the impact of that?
1: Well certainly the core, the the leadership of the campaign was prepared for it. We'd already decided that this was a long battle on the other hand, I was in a, a room amongst senior clinicians and trust um, executive in Lewisham Hospital at the time, watching the news, the Parliament, and um, around the room, there were only two of us that expected the decision to go against the hospital. Everyone else thought that, that they'd won the clinical arguments. So it was important that we were prepared to, to lose that argument at the point of parliamentary announcement and to have already planned the next steps. We decided that we would f- fight it as an ongoing campaign with publicity and, and on on the streets and, and uh, interviews in the press, but we quickly also decided that we would challenge it legally. David Cameron had come into government in 2010. He'd, he'd explicitly said that certain conditions had to be met before hospitals were closed. So so we, we decided that we would challenge the legal point that they had properly consulted, that they had overridden the view of Lewisham CCG that it was wrong to close Lewisham Hospital, and that was one of Cameron's uh, must-dos. You must have the agreement of the, of the CCG in the area in question. So we put in an application for a judicial review. The strength of the campaign had brought in the Lewisham Council's support as well. So they supported the campaign, but they also, to some extent, did their own thing. So they decided to have a legal challenge at the same time. So there were two separate applications for judicial review, but eventually we, we worked together, and that was you know, a, a team approach when we were in court. The campaign also decided that whether we were refused a judicial review or not we would present our own evidence in public and we organised uh, our Lewisham People's Commission and we, we timed that for the end of June and we set about gathering evidence from about 50 witnesses which were you know, parents, uh, young people, patients themselves, patient representatives from different groups like the Parkinson's association london ambulance user group chair uh, the chair of the ccg and loads of clinicians in, in areas like maternity children's mental health we got michael mansfield who's a very famous barrister who's um, involved in key civil rights human rights issues and political issues he he agreed to chair the panel and we had his chambers giving their support free to be the interviewers of witnesses on the day. So we had a a huge amount of of dramatic evidence that was uh, mostly written down um, in interviews with barristers. Then on the day we had uh, about 30 witnesses giving their oral testimony and we filmed it all. We had videos of other people, short snippets, that. So that was a very powerful parallel activity. As it happened, we were given the right to judicial review, and the judicial review was timed, by coincidence, three days after our Saturday Lewisham People's Commission. So there was a a powerful sort of bringing together of of strands of of attack, demonstrating rallying um, media campaign and the legal challenge as well.
0: Presumably, you need funds to, to fight a, a legal battle like that. Did
1: you have a crowdfunder, or how did you approach that side of things? Yes, uh, very good question. I think our campaign was either before crowdfunding took off, or it was in the very early days. But we didn't do crowdfunding. We did we did uh, f- funding from collections on the, the demonstrations. We raised I don't know fifteen hundred pounds on each of the two demonstrations so we covered all our costs and started to accumulate a little bit of campaigning pool and then we had a um, a social at the riverley which was given to us free as a venue by the by the owner for the campaign and we raised a lot of money several thousand pounds from that and a, a huge attendance and people giving their time free so we, we had a, a kind of uh, war chest uh, of, of money that ha, has seen us through all that time. We had to raise money for the legal funds. We were facing potentially huge amounts of money, you know, 15, 20, 30, pounds £20,000, £30,000. So what, we, what we'd raised wouldn't have covered that exactly, but the, the, the lawyers were willing to limit the costs if we lost 38 Degrees came in very late in the day um, uh, and put out an appeal for us and they raised a considerable amount of money which they, and in the end they gave us £15,000 towards our costs. When we actually won the legal challenge, the government side made a very divisive sneaky bid to the judge saying, Well, actually it was the late it was the council's barrister that won the substantial arguments and the and the campaign's barrister's points were were not accepted by the judge. So uh, we we oppose costs being awarded to the campaign and the judge act, actually agreed that. So that our two campaigns had agreed between them which ones to lead on and by chance the The council's points that we agreed that they would lead on were the ones that won on the legal, technical points. So we didn't get costs uh, awarded to us, but we had a limit of that. So we had to hand over about um, £25,000 in legal costs. But we survived by that.
0: It's a substantial amount of money. You've talked about the People's Commission and all that kind of thing. Uh, Were there any other crucial steps in getting the the decision or the recommendation
1: overturned? They all contributed to the end point in a way the strength of the campaign alone often doesn't win a particular battle you have to fight it in many different ways sometimes an individual campaign raises such a furore about a smaller point for example an individual service and the campaign persuades a ccg or or some part of the health service to reverse This was a a very major decision to close an entire hospital and we needed all the things uh, to be going on in parallel and and supporting each other. So, for example, if we hadn't had the the two demonstrations and the second one was 25,000 people coming out onto the streets in a very moving, uh, emotional day, that really sent a message to Lewisham Council that they, they had to be part of this. And I know this from what councillors said, that they were saying, should we or shouldn't we, um, for example, run the financial risk of a judicial case? And when they saw the strength of the community, the councillors were saying, we've got to, we've absolutely got to do this. So the, the strength of the campaign led to a strong legal challenge, and the legal challenge and the huge media campaign, who will ever know what impact that had on the judge? We certainly had advice from the legal team that no matter how strong your argument is, there's a certain aspect of arbitrariness on the day about to what degree the judge will listen to arguments or dismiss arguments, but the power of the public messaging across national and local media will have reached the judge that this was a serious issue. On the day of the court, we overfilled the courtroom, and, and the judge suspended the start and said, we've got to have a bigger courtroom. So they found a, a bigger courtroom, and, and we filled that, and they, he brought in extra chairs. That created a huge impression, and he was speaking to the gallery a lot of the time. He, you know, he was saying, I realise the, the amount of public interest in this. and So those things were also important. You know? So all of those different elements, it's hard to say what won. In a way, the legal point won. In another sense, we wouldn't have had a chance to win the legal point without the campaign. And if we'd lost that legal point, we were determined to carry on anyway. And I don't know what would have happened after that. (laughs) (laughs) So everybody who came out on the demonstration, everybody who took their buggy up to
0: Whitehall, everybody, every single individual made an impact. It was worth them getting out of their house and coming out and supporting.
1: Yes. We gave them all sorts of events where they felt they were fighting... For Lucian Hospital, and I, I can't tell you how many times, not just in Lucian but around the country, I've been to events and people say I was there on that day, you know, I marched to save Lucian Hospital. So it became a cause celebre around the country as well.
0: So then, obviously, the, the government decided to appeal. Was that something you'd seen coming and, and were prepared for?
1: Definitely, because we expected so little positive from Jeremy Hunt. People used to think he was stupid. He's not stupid. He's clever, very media savvy, very arrogant. And they were going to push this through whatever. So one element of that was on the three days of the hearing, in the middle of that, NHS London announced that they were going to go ahead with closure of nine A&Es and they mentioned them and they mentioned Lewisham as one of them. Uh, so they were sort of almost putting their, th- their thumb on their nose to the judge saying, whatever you decide, we're going to close these hospitals anyway. So did we expect Jeremy Hunt to appeal? Yes, yes, we did. Uh, obviously, we, 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 it would have been great if he hadn't, but, <laughs> but uh, we expected him to. And the judge realised the importance of it, uh, that, that every week that went by was undermining the confidence of the staff in the hospital. So Uh, he he scheduled the appeal quite promptly. We won on the, I think it was the the 31st of July. These dates are uh, uh, are tattooed (laughs) into my brain. And the appeal was on the 29th of October. We we were expecting a long hearing there, but in the morning of the first of the day, the government's defence demand an overturning of the decision and then our response. And the judges said, so, right, well, we're breaking for lunch, but don't go away because we'll be back in a minute. Within five minutes, they came back and threw out the government's case. <laughs> <laughs> so we were stunned then, uh, but that was so dramatic that we thought, that's it, that, that the government probably won't dare to appeal again to, a, to the Supreme Court, and, and they, they didn't, they gave in then. That was our moment of real victory. And then the government planned to change the rules of the game to make sure that they could close other hospitals in the future. They introduced a clause in Parliament, which was an initially called the Lewisham Clause, and they uh, addended it to another bill, which was nothing to do with with um, emergency care. And they over, overrode the right of, of a single CCG to prevent closure of something in its area. So they, they changed the rules. Of course, that that's an, another issue for subsequent campaigns that every time you, you win something the government or the, the local system tries to shut those loopholes and make it harder and harder and they, they have indeed got more and more clever at going about undermining the NHS. So.
0: Okay, and so obviously that was a huge victory, how did you celebrate and how important is it in a campaign like this to celebrate?
1: We celebrated on the day On social media, we said, uh, whatever the outcome, this was the end of July, we will convene outside the the hospital on the day of the verdict. So at five o'clock, the campaign descended on hospital and we had a a, a great moment there. Then we we had a sort of victory march in September. We knew that the appeal was still to come, but we felt very confident that we'd win that, actually. So we had a victory Celebration and a, a, a smaller march, but a celebratory march with a, a kind of festival event with lots of things like children playing steel band and, and some of the dancers from the NHS display at the two thousand twelve Olympics. They they came, so we had a, a lovely day in the pouring rain, of course, <laughs> um, in, in in Ladywell Fields, and on the night of the appeal victory, the end of October, where the our victory, the government's defeat. We again descended on Lewisham Hospital and, and had a huge rally outside the hospital speeches and, and uh, that was all filmed. One really important thing, the power of, of social media and the power of documenting your own activities is a really important thing that lots of campaigns are, are getting better and better at that all, all the time now. But we had a volunteer who was a retired filmmaker and he said, "Would you mind if I document your campaign?" So he, he set up his camera in our committee meetings, and, and he filmed the, the toing and fro and the arguments for and against things. He filmed the marchers. He, he, he filmed the, the rallies outside the high court on the days. So we then had a, a, a lovely record, you know, in short 15 minutes and in longer, you know, endless hours of footage. We filmed the People's Commission Day, so we've got six hours of video. It was important for morale, it was important for telling the story, it was important for sharing with other campaigns, and that just reminds me because he was there on the night, the 29th of October, when we were outside the hospital again, and, and he was able to capture everybody's delight on, on, those, on that occasion.
0: Fantastic. How has the campaign evolved What what you focusing on now? And did you galvanise people from that original campaign, which drew so many people, like you said, that had never had any activism experience before or never been involved in that kind of thing? Have you drawn those people into the longer-term
1: activities? Mm. I think we've had an amazing success in keeping our campaign going. We, we've had a, a very solid core. At a certain point in our work we became so big with numbers of people that we had to have a steering committee so we had a a steering committee that met weekly as well as the public open meeting and they initially had a 25 on our steering group we still have meetings of 20 to 25 people regularly actually there in in the room a much wider periphery of people that are still involved we were very clear that it wasn't just about the hospital and it wasn't just about don't close us to close another hospital we were saying this is an attack on the nhs and we won't we accept it so we knew and it's obvious that the attack on the nhs was a, an ideological one it was very deliberate and it was going step by step by step and we decided that we would carry on uh, as a save louisian hospital campaign we wouldn't change the name we've saved the hospital but we would carry on, we would oppose any attempt in the future to close the hospital but we would also oppose attempts to undermine community services, health visiting, mental health services and so on. We've been very proud of that, that we've been able to do that and we, we still are a power for good. We, we overturned cuts to children's mental health services in February, we, we persuaded the council that that was a, a wrong decision and that was one recent success. We've recently got them to put on hold the plan to cut health visiting services. And we, and we got Greenwich CCG to overturn the, the plan, the outrageous plan to shut down a substance misuse team in Queen Elizabeth Hospital that saves many, many lives by intervening early. We affiliated to Keep Our NHS Public to be part of a, a national campaign to save the NHS, to oppose privatisation, to, to demand proper funding for it proper conditions for staff and so on a year later so December 2015 I became the co-chair nationally of Keeper Anishes Public and we we went a stage further nationally which is part of the message we've just been talking about about inclusivity we noticed as Keeper Anish's Public we're the the longest lasting campaign organization you know locally and nationally since 2005 but there is there a plethora, there are many different organisations all doing, to some extent, their own thing, although doing very good work. So we, we were thinking, how can we bring them together, not necessarily in the same organisation? So in the autumn of 2015, we set up health campaigns together as an open invitation to uh, campaign organisations, to researchers, to unions, to come together on, on a... a a simple straightforward principal platform about saving the nhs and that also now is uh, a very very good website and it's a very good organization as well I'm, i'm vice chair of that we have 120 affiliates of that including five national unions so that's taken campaigning onto a bigger level involving the tuc involving you know political party, local groups and so on. That's a source of information and it's also a source of hope for the future. Dr Louise Irvin, I've mentioned, has been a fantastic leader for our campaign locally. She's also chair now of Health Campaigns Together nationally, so we're proud of the Lewisham impact on the national stage and there are many other individual players that um, have done huge things that we should be very grateful for, somebody called John Lister, who's the editor of Health Campaigns Together. He's been campaigning on the health service for 35 years, and uh, he he, he had an organisation, London Health Emergency, and that was going back to Thatcher's time where they were trying to undermine the NHS. It's a constant battle, really, uh, against right-wing ideology that says... It's a waste of money to invest in public services, and actually, we want to turn it into a money-making business where private companies can enrich themselves, and and that is seems to be now a forever battle. So that's going off into the future.
0: And your campaign provides support to others around the country where communities are facing similar problems. How important is this cooperation or this solidarity between campaigns?
1: I think it's been a. Privileged privilege to be able to use the experience of Lewisham to go and help other people and of course immediately you go to, to other parts of the country and you, you see their ingenuity and, and their ideas uh, and you, you sort of kick off each other. There's a, a big campaign for example in, in Huddersfield uh, where they were, they're trying to close the Huddersfield Royal Infirmary and that would leave a town of over 250,000 people without a hospital. Um, so they invited us to go there. We, we went through some of the things we've been talking about, the different methods, ways of bringing in different parts of the community, ways of organising you know, the merchandise. And then they they took all of that greedily, all those ideas, <laughs> and they, they improved on them and they, they sort of coasted on, on that wave and, and went even further. So we would now look to some of those areas for ideas as well. Um, in in Huddersfield, you know they they took our idea of, of organising a stage further, and in the smaller towns and villages around Huddersfield, they set up subcommittees. So that they got about, um, you know, they got about eight or ten different committees that feed into the overall campaign. There, and they've done they've done very very well there. But we, we we've done many visits around the country too, and, and made lots of friends as well. And I have to say, campaigns like Ealing Hospital, they've they've been fighting to save Ealing Hospital since two thousand and twelve, and attempts to close Ealing Hospital in, in Northwest London go back even further than that. But Ealing campaign very good. They came on, on to our events. They spoke and t- told us about their experiences, and that they came on the demonstration. So there's there's been a great you know, firing off each other and supporting each other around the country. And um, the Lucian campaign was important for that. Uh, and other campaigns do the same thing now in supporting each other.
0: And finally, where can listeners find out more about the campaign or how can they support what you're doing?
1: The Save Lucian Hospital website, it has a huge amount of resources and the, the history of our campaign. My wife does that, Olivia. That is still a kind of re- receptacle for all the links to all the media successes, and it's got the testimony around the time of the commission. It's got a list of all the letters to the Secretary of State from all the departments in the hospitals, all the cl- clinical evidence. My, my wife does all the social media, so she's been really important, and, and she still does that. Lucian Facebook has a huge amount, and that's more day by day, event by event. You know. So you've got those, and Keeper NHS Public um, national website is a very good source of, of material.
0: Well, it's, it's fantastic to hear the story of how you've drawn the community together, how you've marshaled all these resources, and how you've really made a huge impact, not just in, the, in Lewisham Borough and the south-east of London, but now taking that across the country. I'm sure there's lots of ideas there for campaigners around the country to pick up on and be inspired by. Thank you so much for your time, it's been great to hear about it all. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Activist Awakenings. If there's an activist in your area doing inspiring things, I'd love to hear about them. Tweet me at activistawaken1, one is a numeral, or email activistawaken1 at outlook.com. Talk to you soon.